You're listening to The Pedestal from Mike on Much, presented by Much Studios. Welcome to The Pedestal. I'm Mike Veerman. I'm here with uh, Shane Cunningham, our co-host, and our other co-host, Jonathan Popolis. Hello, hello. Guys, how are you doing? Good. Just finished the film. Hey, that's it's like a homework assignment that you do just before you walk <laughs> into class. Pretty much as we were walking in. Oh, I perfect. It. Yeah. That's the way to consume a film, on your phone, running to the podcast to record about <laughs> Well, I did start it last night. Uh, I fell asleep. Yeah. And then I woke the up. Shane classic. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're wondering, although I'm sure you saw it on the old, uh, I, you, whatever you're listening to, your, uh, your, what are they called? Podcasts in. Uh, it was on the app. So as you may have noticed this season, season two of The Pedestal, uh, we've all chosen a film uh, from our lives or our childhood that really sort of resonated or meant something to us. And the idea is that we would watch it now and see if it's still uh, held up for us. Our personal pedestals, we've called it. Yeah. Johnny, yours was obviously. Uh, it was Misery. Misery. Shaney did The Rules of Attraction. Yes, I did. You seem to be shaking your head in like a... <laughs> no, no. You can go back and... You did can, we you like can it? listen to that did episode. Did we not like it? I guess you'll find Ooh, out. Ooh, mm. have to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> You're in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> so my my movie today, the one that I chose for my personal pedestal is Big Fish by Tim Burton. Starring Ewan McGregor and Jessica Lange and Albert Fitty. Finney and Billy Crudup uh-huh. and as well as uh, I'm blanking on her name Allison Lohman thank you uh, yep. who, was all, who was in Matchstick Men yeah that's her Danny DeVito role. Danny DeVito is in this movie as well as Helena Steve, Bonham Carter who's Steve, in, Steve Buscemi is Tim Burton still married to Helena Bonham Carter that's a good question yeah she, she, uh, she really got in all those was, films a known thing about it, I guess I haven't really... I think they broke up, actually. Ah, oh, that'd be sad. They seem like the perfect couple. Yeah. Uh, so for a little bit of context, <laughs> listeners, Big Fish came out in 2003. I don't think this is the most modern movie we've ever done, is it? Uh, it's got to be close. When did was Garden State? What was Garden State? Ooh, I this can't might remember. be the most modern movie. This could be the most modern movie. So, uh, for uh, a little bit of context, like I said, it came out in two thousand and three. It was the forty third highest grossing film of nineteen of uh, two thousand and three. Okay. Do you guys want to do the top five as we do? Uh, oh, two thousand three. Yeah, I could give you five and four, and we'll go. Give into me five. Seven. Yeah. Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, Bruce Almighty. So that's old. That's an old movie now. That's weird to think about that. Um, Aaron Carter have. Uh, Wait, sorry. Him and Bonham Carter, (laughs) Bonham Carter, have broken up in 2013. Aww. Aww. And they have two children. A son, Billy Raymond. Billy Boneham Raymond? Yeah. (laughs) Boneham. Boneham. And a daughter, Nell. Oh. Do you remember that movie Nell with uh, Jodie Foster? Foster? Yeah. yeah. Look at that. It's almost she like we have a movie English. podcast. Guys. Um, so, so I guess every time it's like these early knots, you say like Spider-Man, Shrek, Star Wars. All right. Bruce Almighty's number five. None of those? There's no Star Wars movies? No. Is there a Lord of the Rings on there? There is one. Okay. Fellowship? No. To Return of the King? That is the number All one right. grossing film. Is there a Harry Potter? There is not. It's 2003. So we'll go down. So number five in 2003, highest grossing film is Bruce Almighty. Like I said, number four is The Matrix Reloaded. Uh Uh-huh. Number three, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Boy. That's the first one. I think that's the second one because it's got the title. You know, I think the first one's just Pirates of the Caribbean. Do you guys guys say Pirates of the Caribbean or Pirates of the Caribbean? Caribbean. I say Caribbean too. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. I'm fucked up. I don't, it, had you not said it, it would have been a good test. Now I don't know how I said yeah. it. But right. I, I believe the first one was called That Long Ass I don't title. think so. Was it? Well, I'm oh. going to look it up. <laughs> um, number two, 
highest grossing film of 2003 is Finding Nemo. Oh, okay. I yeah. was going to be like, it's all... And that's an animated it's all, one. Uh, all franchises and stuff. Okay. And uh, as I said, uh, the number one grossing film of uh, 2003 is Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys want to take a guess at this budget? I can tell you what it made first. So this so this movie, Big Fish, in 2003, made $122.9 million at the box office. It made $122 million? Yeah. Well, that's Jeez. that's what they have is like its earnings. So I sure. Mean, when you take but still, I mean, it was a, so it was a hit. It was a hit. It made over $100 million, And that was in 2003. Yeah. That was really the benchmark, yeah, right? It shocking. made over $100 million. The first Pirates of the Caribbean was called Pirates of the Caribbean and the Curse of the Black Pearl. So All right. One. There you go. There you have it. And the reason I kind of knew it, uh, I cheated a little bit just because <laughs> I, I did a digital dessert with a kid who was named after this movie who was born in the same year. Oh. Black Pearl? No, his name was uh, Johnny Orlando. Oh, okay. And he was born in two. Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, so they loved the movie so much. No, but that was part of my oh, hypothesis and my digital dessert. It was very hilarious. It's amazing. <laughs> it Tune into that. Shane's hilarious. digital desserts, yeah. Uh, the budget of Big Fish, which made $113 million. 122.9. 122.9 million dollars. Uh, God, I'm horrible at this, so I'm going to say $40 million. Shaney boy? This was Tim Burton, height of his powers. He says 40 I say 69. Holy shit. $70 million budget. You're good at this game, man. <laughs> I just went 69 to be just funny. To be funny. <laughs> I was going to say 70. God oh, damn. I was going to say 70. Fuck. Okay. Our loyal oh, listeners still, come on. will know that they should marvel. You usually nail the budget or get within about yeah. 10, 5 or 10. I'm pretty good. I'm horrible at, at it. Yeah, Johnny, I'm horrible. you're brutal just, at I'm it. I'm terrible. Um... Okay, so uh, like I said, this is my personal pedestal. Uh, obviously, all of us, uh, this is 2003, so we were all adults when this movie came out. We were mm-hmm. going to theaters, things like that. Uh, what did we think of this the first time we saw it? What were your guys' relationship like with this movie? Should I we do it first before we get to... Yeah, I guess you'll, you'll go last because it's your... I can start. Yeah, go for it. Because like, why did you choose it? Like, Why is it your... Sure. Okay. So I, my relationship with this film is I saw this in 2003. Uh, I was living on my own for right around the first time. Like I just moved out. I was 22 years old and uh, I used to go to movies like by myself. I still go to movies by myself a lot just because I, I like doing it. So if there's not much pop in, I'll just run over to the cinema and I'll watch anything. I was particularly excited about this because I thought the trailer like looked great. I tend to really sort of... Um, I like whimsical movies and like movies that sort of like take place in sort of this, I don't know if like it's a heightened reality or like a fantastical sort of like thing. So it was also Tim Burton. I like Tim Burton, although I think he'd just come off of uh, Planet of the Apes, which I thought was shit, the Mark Wahlberg yeah. one. Um, but I was excited about this one and the buzz seemed to be pretty good. So I popped down to the theater. I watched it. Uh, I was by myself and I remember there was, um, there's two like women beside me, like pretty attractive women. And it was a pretty kind of packed theater, but it, I felt like there was a lot of dudes in there alone. It was kind of weird. I don't know if I was like projecting, but at the end of the movie, which is obviously a very emotional movie, we'll get to it, but it's like, do you cry in a theater? And it's not totally weird to cry in a theater, whatever, we're all there, but I was there alone. And so I remember feeling self-conscious about crying next to these two girls who were like friends that were there seeing, I didn't want to do it, but all you could hear was like sobbing in the theater of like all of these men that probably had daddy issues. It was just the most fascinating sort of like theater experience. Reaching out and grabbing each other's hands. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We we don't have our fathers, but we're here together. Uh, So anyway, I just, I thought the film, I walked out of there sort of like, but wait, do you cry in a theater? I, I do, but, but the thing you is, did. I did, but I held myself back. Nah. I didn't want to be like visually 
because I was self-conscious, they were in my peripheral. They were right to my right. Yeah. So it was that thing where it's like, I almost wish the first time I saw it was at home alone because I wouldn't have held back, you know? Right. So I just remember sort of like holding back, but then, you know, whatever, walking out of the theater and thinking that movie is fantastic. Like that's probably one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought it sort of married, like I said, the fantastical elements along with sort of like this father and son story perfectly. I told people I knew, I was like, you got to see Big Fish. Like he's done it, you know, like it's great. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I came out on video. I watched it like a few more times and then it's just sort of been that movie where I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably like a top 10 movie for me, uh, all time. And, uh, and recommended it to people. So I've always really liked it. I have not seen it probably in about a decade. So I probably haven't seen, what are we in 2019? I yeah. probably haven't seen it since t- 2009 before. If you're with your wife, do you cry? Yeah. Oh, big time. And you're, you're just not shy about it? No, God, no. No, no, no. Not at all. How about you? Shane. I'm shy about it. I But I have a good, uh, I only have one eye that gets leaky that I can't control, but usually I can block out the side. Have the other one just going crazy? Yeah, I'll just kind of tilt my head and I'll be streaming down one side of my face and totally fine on the other. And I'll play cool because I am embarrassed of it. Why what? are you embarrassed to cry for your wife? I don't know. Mm. It's yeah. just, I feel like it's... Uh, I feel like she's going to make fun of me or something. Right, right, right. Like, or tease me lightly, which I don't, I hate that. <laughs> Just noogies. <laughs> <laughs> fucking loser. Come here, you little wiener. Uh, you kind of squirt a little bit. What's the movie you've cried the most in? For? I cry at almost every film uh, and <laughs> almost every commercial. <laughs> I'm crying right now. Yeah. I spend no time with my wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she can't see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, One shit, the, the commercials are cutting on. <laughs> Honey, leave. Uh, yeah, it, you know, well, it's funny you, you say that because it's like, I actually am not shy to cry in front of my friends. Like if we went and saw a movie mm-hmm. and I got emotional, I wouldn't hold back in front of friends. Definitely don't hold back in front of my wife, but I will hold back in front of strangers. I don't know why. Like, right. Maybe I'm just more concerned about what strangers think of me, which is shitty. It's well, a weird because flaw. they have nothing other to know you. No context. On. Yeah. It's yeah. Just like, oh, that guy's a crybaby. He's got issues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I cried. I cried in the movie theater for Beautiful Mind, and that was like wow. 2000. Uh, beside my best friend Tamir, and it's now been almost 20 years, and he still makes fun of me. Like. <laughs> Almost like every few months, he'll bring it up and make fun of me. Because that was a hard equation he had to solve, right? <laughs> <laughs> he solved you it. Bed <laughs> All right, Shaney, you're oh, big fish. Uh, see, I definitely think this came out before Planet of the Apes. I am very into Googling facts while we're recording, though, so I will d- double check that. All right, I'll look it so, up while you sure. I thought he was at the... This is like me remembering him being at the height of his powers during this. I don't think he had any flop. And I believe this was after he did Ed Wood. I was super in Ed Definitely Wood. after Ed Wood. Yeah, this, yeah Ed Wood was This 94. was after Edward Scissorhands, obviously. And I was just like, this is one of the best directors out there. And then I was always wondering if he could make a film that was more normal. Mm-hmm. And I know this is kind of a rooted in like a fantasy, but I still felt like this was more of a normal film for him. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's 2001 for Planet of the Apes. Holy this was shit, his good direct, call. Direct follow-up. I just never saw Planet of the Apes. And I, I knew it was a bomb because I was always listening to Howard Stern and they were making fun <laughs> of it quite a bit. But yeah, my mind doesn't look at it as a Tim Burton flop for, for some reason. It was a hit. Yeah. Just critically, it was a disaster. We're right. talking about Planet of the Apes. Right. Got you. So anyway, so you were like, this is a shot at a normal film. And then when I saw this, I was like, shit, he can really do a normal film that's not just dark like uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Which w- wasn't even a movie he directed, which was always- I know. Well, as a kid, I thought the same thing. Gets lumped in. Because yeah. the aesthetic is so him and the Danny Elfman. I think Danny Elfman produced- still yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But anyway, it, it, it got away from that world, which was very, seemed like old hat for him. And then this was a whole new thing that he could do that I was very impressed with. So yeah, I definitely loved this movie the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think as kids, we were born in like the perfect time for Tim Burton to be like the man because it's like the two Batman movies and then Beetlejuice and the Pee Wee Herman movie, Ed Wood and, 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 uh, and Edward Scissorhands and all that. So I was like in the same boat, but I think like I had seen like Mars Attacks in theaters and it was, I hated it so much in theaters. And then the same thing, I saw Planet of the Apes and I hated that so much that I felt like I was like the other way. I'm like, okay, well, I'm but another one with Tim Burton's name on it just kind of bounced off me. So I saw, I don't even think I saw this in theaters. Pretty sure. I, Interesting. I, I'm pretty sure I just. Because you're, you're a movie it. guy. I am. Probably like 1920. The thing I remember, I remember strongly for some reason, that this movie was supposed to be a Steven Spielberg movie. It was. He, was, was, he had developed it. Yeah. And it was going to start Jack Nicholson in the yes. Albert Finney role. And I remember at the time that was like a big thing like a, about that and that Tim Burton is taking over this movie that Steven Spielberg was going to do. And then I think I saw it once because uh, uh, I was, like I, I said before, I worked at Rogers Video and I, I remember like the DVD case very, very well and I rented it I watched it I barely remember the movie at all until I I think I watched it the one time in like 2003 and then again yesterday until this podcast until this podcast yeah. oh you're oh, gonna yeah. be the most interesting I'm coming in like and yeah I remember I definitely remember how I remember I felt coming out of it that it was a strange movie yeah that had it ups and downs but in the end I kind of liked it that's how I felt back then and so when you said you wanted to do this one I'm like oh it's, it's absolutely worth revisiting because I think I've watched every other Tim Burton movie again since then, except for that one. How many pages full of notes do you have in front of you? I only got two pages. Only two, light yeah. day. But this is- Small, these, small, these are, small type of these font, are very, mice type. These are very like stream of consciousness stuff. And there's a lot of like one word or one phrase things that I know mean a lot yeah, more. save so. it for the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning in 30 seconds from now. Can we all agree though that Tim Burton is considered a has-been? Or Interesting is a question. That's a great question. Um, didn't he make something recently that I was into? Well, here's what I'd say. Nobody gets to be, like, how many people actually get to be a Spielberg or, like, even a Tarantino? Like, these auteurs, guys that have yeah. a specific vision. And, I mean, I guess Spielberg is more sort of versatile. But guys that, these directors that have a specific, specific vision, someone like M. Night Shyamalan or any of these people who actually stay at the top and don't yeah. have misfires. I guess for most people, you just want the count to be higher. You know, like anybody, like, a, like, like man, like, there's so many people polarizing like Brian De Palma you know what I mean these like right. specific filmmakers that people are like actually that movie's not very good like how many get to actually like, who's infallible yeah, I think Scorsese the, I think the norm is to become a has-been of yeah, course yeah yeah oh yeah he's and I think he was a has-been I think I do think because I'm trying like is there something recently I don't think so I know Alice in Wonderland was one of the worst movies did you guys see I've the uh he did the one about the school for peculiar children I haven't uh, seen that Ms. one Parna, Par Perengrin. Yeah, I can't remember I, I know what you're one. talking about though it was good yeah I liked it I, I kind of Dumbo recently. I didn't see Dumbo, but I, I'm. I feel like it. if Netflix was around, that Miss Parnabum's School for Crazy Kids Ms. or Parnabum. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing titles. Helena Bonehome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Miss Bonehome School for Crazy Kids. Yeah, but that would have been like a Netflix series because those shows seem to be really popular. It yeah. actually probably would have more suited to a Netflix series. But yeah. it, I, as a first film, I actually do the thing where after I watched, it, I go, I thought Burton did a really good job on that, and I typed in like. Like sequel, I was excited for right. a sequel because I thought the chemistry was good. I thought he that was a good. We movie. need more information. Right? <laughs> I said sequel. You know what I mean? Sorry, uh, but like Dark Shadows was a piece of crap, abject yeah. shit. You yeah. know, so Maybe like he, Hollow was okay, but I think even that was yeah nineties. What did we think of his uh, his uh, Willy Wonka? See, I actually was 
okay with it. I think I was expecting something so horrible. So I think I thought it was kind of charming. And I guess just sort of, sick of Johnny Depp in yeah, those weird outfits. He was the worst part. I think ultimately his brand became not guaranteed. You know, there's certain filmmakers that they'll get your ass in a seat. Like yeah. Jordan Peele does get out. I think it's one of the greatest films maybe of all time. We'll see as time goes on. Uh, so when he comes out with something like Us, his name alone gets my ass in a seat. M. Yep. Night used to have that, obviously. Does Tarantino still have that for you? He does. For sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Scorsese for sure still does. Yeah. I don't know if you, I don't even know if Spielberg, I don't know if I see a movie, if it's directed by Steven Spielberg, I'm like, I must see that movie. Yeah, like I didn't go see War Horse, you know? No, I didn't Being either. a writer director though is different than being a director. Spielberg's a director. You Quentin mean Tarantino's like an author, like director. someone who? No, I mean if you write your film. Spielberg directs a lot of films. He doesn't write all. No. Of them. Yeah, Tim Burton doesn't write his films, but yeah, Tim Burton has a, has a vision. He has a style, which is right. like, you know like, just like um, P.T. Anderson or you know what I mean. What's the, what's your favorite Tim Burton? Actually, movie? would no, I was just gonna say, would we say that? Uh, I was I was actually talking about. Um, I, mean, I I said P.T. Anderson, but I meant to say Wes. Uh, yeah, Wes Anderson. Anderson. Both, yeah. but P.T. I was going to say, has he ever had any misses? But I guess we oh, would cite... In, uh, inherent Vice. Yeah, the Putnam, whatever the, the yeah. whatever that shit was. Yeah. Like, that's sort of like, that's considered a miss. Yeah, but I mean, it's if you look at the arc of his... It's, it's an acceptable miss because yeah. he went so different Correct. and artistic I, and weird. And Phantom Thread was like... I thought that was... So good. Yeah. yeah. I that, thought Phantom Thread was awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. So that's yeah. what I mean. Like, and, and I think he made... Was the master I before? have thoughts on the end of Phantom Thread and some of the choices. Really? Uh, oh, I so, liked it. I, I loved it. We've had this conversation <laughs> off pod uh, almost that right up to... But anyway, but uh, Tim Burton... different gothic... Shane's question, is Tim Burton a husband? I always, I always, I always am hesitant to, to have these conversations because in my weird mind, I picture Tim Burton listening to this or something or some like Tim Burton obsesso and I'm they're like how dare you motherfuckers <laughs> who have never made a film say this guy's a has-been I don't think that well, we are you know we're allowed to curse or last Michael people. Jordan and other superstars that we're never going to be just because you don't do it or play it doesn't mean you can't talk, speak on it I agree Michael Jordan is a husband when it comes to NBA basketball well he would suck if he was out playing still now it's true the, the difference the between the basketball. difference between sports and <laughs> filmmaking is you can make a film forever and right. not even realize when you're past your prime how old, isn't George Miller like literally like dust at this point? Yeah. He somehow he managed made, to pull off. He did uh, it when he was like 72. Or but he had a lot of time to think on that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not like he was making films every He's year. He's like Andy Dufresne and Shawshank. He's, that's how that's long he'd funny. been planning. Uh, what was that film? Mad Max? Fury, and Tom Fury Hardy Road. hated him on that film. Really? Oh, yeah. The, the whole oh, process. And then he had a, uh, they were, there was a press conference. He was like, I thought this was going to be shit. I was way too hard on him. And then I saw the film and I apologized. I think he put out like a letter like in like. A newspaper like he took out a thing just to do like a public apology like a mea culpa mm -hmm. to anyways we're way we're way off track here big but that's fish, cool big fish big fish big fish um so that's what we all thought of it then yeah uh i guess we will at this point transition into uh reasons for keeping it on the pedestal uh what did we like what was the best scene what was the best performance so yeah like uh i guess we all explained what our relationship was like with the film uh back in 2003 what did we think this time around do you want to start because it's your like yeah. you said, you, you, you just said it was, you referred to it as like a top 10 film. So yeah. what, what put it though? What are some of the elements that remain, that keep it as, as that high up? So yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's hard for me too to like do like a, this is my top 10 of all times. Cause I see so much, it would be, I'd have to think about it and then it but would take obviously too long. I just, it's revered. I would pull it when people are like, what are your favorite films? Of all time? Right, I would right, just right. pull it out of a box of, in my mind of films I know I love. Um, yeah. Watching it again. I thought that it really, uh. I thought it looked great. I thought like, obviously he has a lot of attention to detail when it comes to like costumes and aesthetic and like framing and stuff like that. Like it's what sort of what makes Tim Burton, Tim Burton. But I thought that like 
one, it really held up. Two, it actually felt in a lot of ways like sort of like, it almost reminded me a bit of like Wes Anderson in some of the shots and some of the staging mm-hmm. and some of the thinking, you know, like when he go when he visits that, the town of, uh, what is it, Sector? Spectre. Spectre. Yep. It's like, there's just certain things about that where I'm like, oh, he's kind of like playing in the sandbox that doesn't even totally feel like Tim Burton, but it still totally works. And I felt like it actually like, Everything about the story really helps. So one thing I was nervous about going into this is I go, okay, one thing I remember being kind of confused about when I was younger was like, why, like who the hell in a bottom Carter? She plays two different characters. She became something of a legend herself. And the story ended where it began. And then I'm like, what that means? And I remember trying to kind of make some logical sense of it and having some issues in 2003. So I was like, am I going to watch this? And is it going to be one of those things where it's like, ah, like... Logically, this story doesn't make sense. But what I did find when I watched it again was I was like, because all of this takes place sort of through like a, a non-reliable narrator, you know, whether it's the Albert Finney character um, or then eventually the, the Billy Crudup character, it's like you can accept all of the sort of magical elements of it because what you're doing is you're seeing a visual representation of storytelling. So it's like this is working within the context of the story while also pushing the plot along. Like we're learning about this guy's life you know, we're also learning that he tells these stories. And I just thought every vignette, whether it was the woman with the eyeball or anything like that, to me, it all stitched together in a way that I was concerned it wasn't going to upon rewatching. I'm always surprised that there aren't more movies who that use this kind of storytelling. Because I think it's great. Because it lets you get, it lets you tell this, like uh, I wrote Broadway Danny Rose. I thought of, I, I thought about that almost immediately by watching it because it's another kind of movie where you have like a bunch of people sitting around and telling like wild stories about a guy. And now you can tell any story that you want and it, and you can go as surreal as you want and it still is grounded in some kind of reality because that's how stories are told. That's how I, if I tell a story about someone, like I'm going to make my own embellishments and things and, and it really is. And I think that's what this movie is about. It's about storytelling in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, that, I, I agree. It really worked really, really well. It, it captivated me like immediately. Yeah. I guess I was concerned it was going to seem gimmicky or like not quite work for me. I found the opposite delightfully. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I couldn't remember when I was thinking back on the film, I was like, is the idea that his life really was boring, but he tells stories because he wants to be remembered as a legend? Or is it that he's telling stories, not how life is, but how life feels? And then he's kind of both. I think the latter though. No, I think yeah. Yeah. that second, the second one. one and, is, and then, uh, with, yeah, with, there's one exception where he, uh, we're talking about the birth where he just uh, flat yeah, out made me. changed it. But I think everything else is more, uh, is he's talking about how life feels sometimes. And uh, there's another movie called uh, Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah. It's, it's much more complicated version of this, but a lot of it is just about how life can feel sometimes. And it's represented in this very surreal way that I love. So watching back, I was like, geez, I really love this element. And uh, like the callbacks, like when he goes back to the the town that was, that was so great in the beginning, the town of Spectre, which is like this utopia, but he's not ready to be in a utopia. And then he goes back to it later on and it's nothing like you remembered mm-hmm. or it's just totally run down. You can't, you can't figure out uh, which is which. And it's kind of like that with, like your old elementary school or your high school, you go back totally. and it's like, this is the same place, but it seems like kind of a shithole. Like when I was a kid, that was the biggest hiding spot ever. That was cool. And it, it just really made me think of life. Well, perception is what you're talking yeah. about. And so it's kind of the thing where it's like the first time he was inspector, it wasn't as good as that, but to him it was. And when he went back, it wasn't as shitty as it looked, but it was to him, Yeah, you yep. know, and in a lot of ways, um, 
I thought it was really interesting, Spectre, in and of itself, because to me, that's a movie within a movie about <laughs> settling at the expense of your creative dreams, specifically ah. the, the poet uh, character, oh, man. Um, Steve Buscemi. So like, to me, it's like, so when he gets there, when he's 18 years old or whatever, and he's like, wow, a man could settle down here, meaning the Ewan McGregor character. Right. And it's like, you're too early. You know, it's not, but it's like how many people on their way to go accomplish great things? You know, Ian McGregor's trying to go to this, the big city. He never wants to go back to the town in Alabama, but along the way, he's like, oh, wait, this is great. I could settle down. But if you settle down at the expense of what? And I feel like that, that um, Steve Buscemi character, who was the greatest poet that his old town had ever seen. Right. On his way to be great, he got stuck in Spectre. He got comfortable. He got comfortable, and he can't even get past the third line of his poem. That poem, that is Shane's entire sense of humor in a nutshell. Oh, exactly, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. The grass so green, sky's so blue, Spectre is really great. <laughs> and then when he's like, I just can't get past the third line, and then everyone starts dancing, and he, he throws point. the poem away, and he goes and joins the fun. And yeah. he does it again later, the roses are red. Roses are red, violets are blue. I love Spectre. It just really sort of resonated with like, I'm like, I feel like what they're saying here just is really true about creative people or anytime you want to accomplish your dreams. Absolutely. It's a lot easier to enjoy the pie and dance with the girls than to actually keep it moving. Well, I was just going to say, you and I talk about this all the time, even in relation to this job. This job we have is such a, a blessing, but it's also such a comfortable place. You almost sometimes have thoughts or maybe delusions of, man, if I didn't have this job and life was a little bit harder, would I be the uh, successful filmmaker? Right. Would I yeah. be this? Would I be a rock star? You, you know what I mean? You think if it's harder, you get better and you push through in ways that you wouldn't if you're comfortable. And we're all like, you know, we sit back to back. So we always have these conversations. Absolutely. And it's kind of like cathartic because you're like, yeah, I really am great. And I, I would have <laughs> been one. I could have been. This, yeah. But this job is Spectre. We are in Spectre right exactly. now. Exactly. We've That's been here great, for a decade. It's a great way because clearly in the storytelling, the dad wants to tell a story that's about that. And so there's no story that, that he has in his life that sort of is a one-to-one. -one. Like if I just filmed myself, that doesn't tell you how it felt to feel trapped in like a better life. So that story technically is actually more realistic to how he felt and what his life was like than if I had just told you what happened. Like to feel trapped in happiness is a real, like in, 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 is a, is a, in, in vanilla happiness is a real thing that must have happened to this character. And right. so it's like, like you said, like those, it's a better description of his memories than an actual like full on, like a photograph of his memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's a device too, that all parents use to some extent. Like, uh, my wife always tells me that her dad used to drive around and point out, uh, homeless people and be like, see that guy used to go to high school with that guy. It was captain yeah. of the football. Or you tell these crazy stories just to kind of scare you into some sort of right. lifestyle or make you aspire to be something. I think it's just people like this. I've, I, I, uh, did you guys ever work with Mark Daly? Uh, the voice guy. The voice guy. City, City TV. TV. Uh, I, I recorded a couple of VOs with him. He, so I worked in the, in the City TV newsroom with him uh, yeah, uh, for, for a few years, and this was him. And everyone knew it about him. Like, he was the guy who, if you mentioned, like, anything, he would like, come in like, oh, uh, actually, uh, uh, and then he'd have some, like, story. And he'll have some big, tall tale, and, and it, and, and, uh, whether, whether or not they're 100% true was always kind of besides the point. Like the fact that he's a guy who will just go and tell you grand big stories kind of made him who he was. Well, it's interesting too because it's like the one thing they get across specifically by the end is it's like 
yes, the Albert Finney character uh, exaggerates these stories, but there's elements of truth to all of them. I yeah. think he absolutely did work for a traveling circus when he was younger. And then he did uh, end up joining the army and meeting these twins who probably performed. And then he did have mm-hmm. to get out of, you know, so it's like all these things matter, but it's like when he tells them with like the, the flair of a storyteller, which obviously his son has, you know, grown tired of, it actually makes the stories better like one and more listenable and two, like it would seem everyone, but the son kind of loves the Albert Finney character and the fact that he has this sort of penchant for telling these tall tales. Yeah. Know? Well, I get the feeling too, that the son is jealous of him. Into some <laughs> that, yeah. I didn't remember that element. The wedding thing was yeah. very interesting. The son was jealous that the dad made the wedding about him. Well, because the, the son has the same flair for storytelling, but it's all like internalized and then he spits it out on the page and there's not a lot of fanfare for that. But to be this charismatic guy who can just spit it out your ass, it can kind of be like, oh, fuck, that's you're just showing off. I don't know if he even saw the value. Like, he thought his dad was showboating. And clearly by the end of the movie where he's where he's reciting the death, the, the story, and he's like, I, don't, I, I now see what the point of these stories are. You weren't telling the story at my wedding to show off. You were doing it to sort of bring bring life to life. To, to like you, you, wanted, you wanted this day to, to mean a lot more, not because you wanted to steal it from me. You wanted to give me something. Mm-hmm. I also think, I think they did a good job, though, of showing that the Albert Finney character did have a big ego and was willing to take what he wanted and yep. did have a need to be in front of people. Like, Oh, well, well, at the, the dinner table scene, he couldn't stand someone else telling the stories. Like uh, Marianne Coutard or whatever. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> when, yes, yes. When she's talking, he's like the worst audience ever to listen to a story. And it's like, oh, Albert Finney's actually kind of an asshole. He's not the charismatic guy we thought he was unless he's telling the story. And if he's not, he's actually kind of a huge dick. I thought they nailed some of the nuance of that amazingly. Oh, it's great. It was, it was totally uh, dimensions to his character all of a sudden. And the Billy Crudup character, what a sort of boomerang he does, where I, at first, because they show that wedding scene, and I go, God, yeah. that kid's an asshole. I'm like, I forgot how much of an asshole he is in this movie. They really lay it on. But then, because you see those little hints of the Albert Finney character and sort of like, you know, his nature, I don't know if he's a narcissist, yep. but that need to sort of be the center of attention. You do start to really empathize with the Billy Crudup character. And you go, I can see how after 30 years of this, it actually mm-hmm. would be. Oh, yeah. I feel like I was annoyed with him. And maybe I'll talk a little more about uh, Billy Crudup in the second half. But uh, but but really the thing where he where he kind of blows up at him, where he goes, these are lies. Yeah. Like, you're lying to me. And I'm like, oh, it's, a, it's one thing to, to think of, of, of the son feeling like the dad's stealing all the attention. And you're kind of annoyed by that. But it's another to feel like a son feels like my dad's just been lying to me. He's a bullshitter. He's a bullshitter. And I mean, are are you seriously going to die with just like the only thing between us is a bunch of like shitty stories? And like, this is horrible. Like, like how come I don't get to have a real dad? And so I believed that wholeheartedly, that that part. And then his character kind of grew from there. I felt like that's where his character started. Yeah, I enjoyed like, you know, there's a thing where, uh, you know, Albert Finney's going to tell a story to the Marion Coutard character. And he's like, uh, she's like, oh, no, I've heard it. He's like, oh, no. He's like, if he told it to you, he told it to you uh, with all the facts and none of the flavor. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I liked that line because I'm like, that kind of summed up the difference between the two of them, you know? It's yeah. like, um, but yeah, I, I really felt like they nailed the new, as far as things we liked, nailed the sort of nuance between the father and the son. And I felt like I knew exactly who both those characters were. Well, and I was surprised too, because in my mind, you think he's telling the stories way crazier than he is, but it's really the visuals that are associated with them. It's a good point. Very, very good point. Amazing point. Because it's like when when you talk to like your parents, it's like, oh, when I met your mother, time stood still. But then they show the visual and it's like, oh, this guy's exaggerating. Time wasn't actually standing still. But it's like, oh, that's just an expression of way people 
tell stories. So great these, point. The storytelling is more common than yep. you think. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, uh-huh. I, I didn't even think of that. And that is a great, great point that it's like, if he just tells a story, I mean, obviously when he tells a story about the giant who could eat people and all that stuff, there is something, but that's like, but, but, but are, it's like, like, like when I played football, that this kids. guy was as big as a house. I swear this guy could eat a man. Yeah. It's like how your dad that's would tell actually old football such a good story. point. But then they showed the visual. Yeah. That, but that actually is. Yeah. And it fits in, and it and it's and it it's why Tim Burton actually is like perfect for this movie because it's like taking his like surrealist style and then doing what like as if like so take someone telling just a, a tall tale story like that and be like okay Tim Burton Tim Burton it up do all your- and it's the only place where he can Tim Burton it up in a realistic way because it's yeah. all taking place in I'm an saying, yeah. in imagination or in the retelling so it's like I sometimes have trouble with like internal logic in a movie where I'm like okay. In this, it's like, and it can be as crazy or as fantastical as you need to be because it is literally just the memory yeah. or story of this man's telling it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, what else do we have good? Anybody else? Oh, I, uh, I, th- I, I'm, I liked Allison uh, Lohman. Yeah, I'm wondering where she is because I forgot how much of a babe she was. She was uh, she the last big movie she did, and I could be wrong, was the one with uh, the Sam Raimi. Drag one. me to hell. Yeah, yeah. That was oh, last, that's her last her. starring okay. vehicle. Yeah, she hasn't theaters. acted in the last two years. Who knows, man? She's she's 39 now. She has two kids. I looked her up, but man, I really, <laughs> I, I really. Liked I just want to give her. I just want to hang out with someone that I can cry in front of. No, but I had like a a crush on her, that's and good. I I don't remember watching the movie and being like, oh, I'm really smitten with this actress. Uh, I would did, like to see more of her. Did you see the one? It was a Canadian production. They were co-Canadian uh, with uh, Kevin Bacon and Colin Colin Farrell. No. Oh uh, yes, Colin, the one directed by uh, Firth. by Adam McGowan. Yes, uh, I did see. I went to see that. Oddly, with my dad and stepmom. Really? Well, that must have been uncomfortable. They're like a Jerry sexy. Lewis, like <laughs> Dean Martin type tr- yes. duo that does comedy. Anyway, it's fascinating. I thought we've brought up Albert Finney a few times, and I want to just, I mean, we'll probably talk about favorite performances, but he stood out to me constantly as just incredible in this movie. Specifically, the the joke that he tells. Yeah. When he tells that, like, the 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 milkman, like, my daddy joke. It's my favorite. Like, I love that joke. I have it in my notes. That I... Because I, because again, I don't remember it at all. So Tell me I'm, the joke. So he, he basically says that uh, he has these dreams and then the premonitions come true. He had a dream that his aunt was going to die. And then sure enough, three days later, the aunt dies. So then could you imagine having that kind of burden? He's telling this to uh, Billy Crudup's wife, Marion Crudup, and she's listening and she's it's like, kind yeah. of dark. It's later night. And she's like, yeah, he's like, so as a, as a boy, I had this burden with me. Can you imagine being a boy with that burden? So of course I had a dream that my father died and I didn't know what to do. So I, I was paranoid. I was so sad. And so I eventually told mom, I'm like, I had this dream that dad's going to die. She's like, your dad's fine, but the mel- the milkman dropped dead uh, yesterday. I missed that. Yeah, I, I heard the joke up until the milkman dropped. Because he's dead. telling the story like a very serious. Oh, story. and he had such a Shane thing at the end of it, where he's like, "This morning, the milkman dropped dead on the porch." See, my mother was banging the milkman. Because my mother was banging the milkman. (laughs) (laughs) It just explains the joke outright. It was fantastic. I rewound it and watched it because it means you can now watch the performance twice. For the first time I'm watching it, you think he's telling some profound thing to, yeah. to his daughter-in-law like he's revealing a, for the for one of the first times he's revealing a real part of himself that she's finally gotten out of him but it was all a setup for a fucking punchline yeah. stupid which joke i love perfect it's perfect oh i was like yeah i was oh. like that's who this guy is you know oh, yeah and she's patient about it and she's nice but oh, it's just like so I funny it. i loved uh, it yeah that was a great i like sort of like not even Again, have, there's not even good, well-told jokes in movies. I, I, I seriously think that sometimes. And it it's was, hard to it's hard to spend real estate on that though. I at know, the expense of plot, of right? course. And but and this served plot and was a fantastic joke and was a great performance. It was it was one of the best 
told jokes in a movie that I've ever seen. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it was really good. So are we going to do favorite scene or? Yeah, let's do Was Is there anything else on the good list? In I mean, a, in, in a general sense, I wanted to say that I love, because he says it kind of straight up at the end, but I love the core moral of this movie that, that all we are in the end is stories. Yeah. And I love that. I thought it was such a, I'm like what a beautiful thing to make a movie about, to make a movie about how, like what makes you immortal are stories. So don't worry too much about, don't worry about the, the, the details, worry about how you feel and, and, yeah. And then I think I, I loved to sort of like, you know, it, we open with the story of the day the boy was born. Right. And it's like basically the wife, the big fish, he caught her with the ring. And it's like, it, it's ultimately a story about a man that wanted to accomplish really big things. And he went out and he did a lot of them probably for a decade. Yeah. And then he meets Alison Lohman. And it's like, that's what stops him in the tracks. You know, that's how he kind of got lost between when he's at Spectre as a young man, he's like, I'm not ready to settle down. Right. And then obviously when he returns as an old man, it's kind of like, there's parts of him that still like, you know, he fixed up the town later on after right, he was married. He still had these things that he needed to do. Actually he went to war after he met Alison Loman or whatever, but it was like, that was enough to like catch the big fish. And he's sort of the big fish. And I think, I think it also tied into the sun. You know, the minute he had the sun was the day that he caught the fish in his story. So it's like ah, this sort of like yeah. metaphor for like, that's what settled me down. And then this is kind of what life became. And it's almost like he'd built this sort of like mythology, but also again, grounded in the idea of like what he wanted for himself, what made him maybe give up on like a larger dream while still maybe encouraging his children or anyone he talks to, to go out and sort of like accomplish yeah. big things. There was just a lot. I think the movie was very clever about obviously laying all of these sort of themes out, but then while also telling a story, because sometimes a movie will be like really good thematically, like, well, this is what it was trying to say. Very and then sometimes agree. it's like the plot was airtight, but thematically it was kind of all over the place. I thought this movie did a really good job of weaving those two things through where you go, I, I'm picking up everything that they're trying to say about life and the nature of relationships and storytelling. But then also it's pushing the plot along in a way that like, father, you know, father, son estranged, father gets sick, son has to come back. They have right. to reconcile father dies. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of hit the four points while kind of filling it out very sort of well. Yep. And I like when you're watching a movie and you can kind of, uh, it kind of makes you space out for a second and think of your own life. For sure. This had a lot of those moments, which were kind of fun to be like, oh, uh, what would people say about me if I died? Who's that character? And conversely, who have I lost that? that oh, board? yeah. All I you're, think about is doing it all. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah, it's funny. This film actually absolutely sort of makes you think about all that. And it's like all three of us have children now. So you go, it makes you think about how you want to parent and sort of Very the legacy you want to leave behind and sort of the way that you're going to per portray yourself and then how to sort of lay out the world for them so that they can sort of navigate it. Would I rather my daughter, like any story about my life, would I rather just like write an essay that tells you perfunctory what happens <laughs> or am I going to tell her like a fun story about my life? Of course, the story. It's, it's almost like what the doctor well, listen. Says. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you think about stuff being filmed or how we record everything. Really good point. To be accurately viewed. Like I remember, uh, like a lot of people, they get wedding videos. Some people don't. But, and I did not get a wedding video, right? But afterwards I was like, oh, everyone seemed like there were certain things of the wedding they really liked. And I don't think they were as good as some people were saying. But I like that in their minds, it can be greater than it actually was. We purposely didn't have a videographer for that reason. Mm -hmm. Because we wanted, like you want, pictures but like and because it's like the stories you're going to tell from the wedding will meet because once you look at the video all of a sudden actually everything seems a lot more mundane than it actually was we did yeah. the same thing uh it's funny though there's two things one 
Shane's speech at his wedding was like an all timer, like one of the greatest speeches like mm-hmm. I've ever seen at a wedding, which is kind of the consensus. And but part, I would hate to go back and watch but it. But, I know it almost ruined it. But, yeah. isn't it. but what if it actually is better than we remember? But isn't it interesting Fuck now it, that you right? get to tell that now you're telling that like I don't know, but all of a sudden I'm like what builds the, the legend. There's a legend, yeah. and you might try to recobble it and tell it to me, and all of a sudden it becomes like big fish where there's this story of all these people telling the legend of the of the Shane speech, and perhaps that is actually well, this gets, better than the video of the speech. And I would never play it for anyone either. So it's not like, oh, Shane, right. when are you going to have this theater viewing of your <laughs> you fucking have, speech? You have a dinner party? Yeah. Everyone come into the living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, this gets, what you just said, Johnny, gets back to seriously what the doctor said at the end when Billy Crudup is sitting beside his father's bed and his father uh, is, is, he's had the stroke, so he's uh, not awake. And he says, do you want to know the story of when the day you were born? He's like, your dad was on the road. He's a salesman and he didn't get back in time for your wedding or for your birth, but men weren't allowed in the room anyway. So I don't see how it would have made a difference. And he's like, uh, I think I like your father's version of the story much better that he caught the big fish or whatever. And the son's like, well, I kind of like yours more. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's Which kinda, I loved because it wasn't that like uh, come to light moment where Billy's like, you know what, doc, you're right. I consider that yeah. though, the last moment like his last wall of defense before like when the dad's like tell me how it ends and then the kid finally like Billy Kudrup finally takes the the torch and he's like I get it and I'm going to send you off right dad well I I don't for me it was like okay Billy likes this but sometimes it's not what you like it's he's doing what his dad wants and he might understand it but it's not necessarily what he prefers Yep. yep so he was just like fuck why am I being such an asshole dick this is his version of being nice and he's doing what he thinks I want and now I'm going to do what he wants. Yeah. Tell the story. I didn't think of it as, oh, now I realize. I didn't think he had that light switch moment. He might have. Yeah. But what I liked about it was I thought he didn't. Yep. I, especially like in that moment, he's still kind of like, like, yeah, it felt to me that when, so when Albert Finney sort of wakes up from the coma and he's like, tell me how it ends. And then you can tell, you know, Billy Cripps trying to figure out what his dad wants. And then once he kind of realizes and he sort of acquiesces and then he starts to tell this the last chapter, you know, and it's like them escaping from the mm-hmm. hospital and getting in the charger and going to the, the river. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's a light bulb moment, but I think it's something that, like you said, maybe that's Billy Crudup's character's like version of mercy or like, well, I think he had a, an appreciation for his dad. Yeah. Not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what he wanted. He yeah. would have preferred maybe the honesty because that's just the type of guy he was, but I felt like he had a like, Oh, okay. My dad's like this and that's fine. Yeah. People are different. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we want to put on the good list? I mean, we can talk about best scene, best yeah, performance. Sex, there, but, like, yeah. but I thought the ending was amazing. I see you. Somehow you're better. Dad? You're uh, different. Dad. Let's get out of here. I put fuck what a beautiful ending really sticks to landing. I So I totally agree. Well, so, so in the good category, then I guess we will talk about the ending. Because one of the things I absolutely remembered about this film, even though I, I'd lost some of the details over the last decade, was the ending. The ending fucking ruins me every time it had like I like I said I watched it in the theater I held back because of those two attractive ladies uh and then I had it my roommate and I had it on like DVD Uh watched it at least like five more times over the course of the next few years and the ending without fail you can feel it coming you can feel it and then like when the Albert Finney character kind of and Albert Finney's fucking amazing in that scene you know when both in the hospital and in the the fantasy in the the fantasy because in the fantasy you know and he's carrying he's like and I don't know why dad but I can carry you and he's putting him in the charger yeah and he's like finger guns the finger guns all of it like I everything about it's great but when they would cut back to the hospital room where they're kind of in this dire situation Albert Finney's character is like incapacity but you can just see the the gloss in his eyes as he's like 
and, and whenever the son would hit him with like a detail that was actually creative in the way that maybe the dad like would really, it was just, it was fucking beautiful. The cutting everything, everybody from his life, uh, as he's going down to the river and Albert Finney, you know, when he's like, Oh, we get there. And it's like, everybody you've ever known. And he's like, ah, he's like the story of my life. And yeah. it's like the fucking most beautiful thing. Cause it's just like, Oh, it's, it's, it fucking ruins me. And I think it's one of the best endings of a movie of all time. Did you ever end up getting with either of those women? In the <laughs> <laughs> no, they saw the, they saw the tears. They, I was soft. As much, I don't have your kind of eye control when it comes to crying. The movie yeah, I, they wedged me and kept it moving. I thought I was crying before. Fuck. <laughs> but yeah, I think two things are very obvious about uh, this movie. One, Albert Finney gave the best performance and the end scene was the best scene. And I think yeah, I'll agree with if that. Anyone says otherwise, they're psychos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck you, listeners, if yeah. you disagree. Yeah. No, but who's going to say different? Like, no, I agree. For sure. Absolutely. And, and I do think, like, unlike some movies where it's like, well, it's obviously this is the best scene. It is obviously the best scene, but this is also a movie that it's not the best scene because it lacks other great scenes. Like there's a whole fucking like war sequence, you know, that's yep. great. And, and there's the culmination of any, any other scene that you might say is your favorite scene. It didn't end sequence. until it got to that ending. The most visually famous is the popcorn. Absolutely. When, when, when time yeah. slows yeah. down, oh, when he sees that, his that, before wife Before I fell time. asleep, that was the scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I, so are we all in agreement that uh, best scene was the ending and yeah. Albert Finney was the best I'll performance? Give, I'll give a little nod to the that joke scene because I loved it so much. <laughs> it I great. loved it. I thought it was yeah, so Yeah, that was good. more a moment than a scene. Sure. Of course, yeah. But it's, but uh, just I want to give a nod to that. And, but the end. Yeah, so okay. So we'll agree. Uh, what did we think of Ewan McGregor? I mean, it's just hard in a movie with Albert Finney. Ewan was good, but there was a lot of whimsy in his performance and his accent was... His, the accent yeah. was really strange. I yeah. got, it's not that he did it bat poorly. It's that it's sort of like my problem with uh, uh, Al Pacino and Scarface, where it's just so strange hearing that accent coming it's out a of choice. his mouth. No prep went into that accent. Yeah. Like everyone <laughs> in this room could do that accent. You know what yeah. it sounds like? It sounds like a Scottish guy trying to do a Deep South accent. Yeah. I'd made it all the way to the G's, hoping to find an answer to my gigantificationism when I uncovered an article about the common goldfish. Yeah, it's that's weird. exactly what it sounds know? like. Uh, what I liked about him was he looked the part. I could imagine that's Albert why he was cast. Looking, yeah, and his hair and the yep. way they did it, and the, his his physical mannerisms, I thought were pretty decent. Yep. So I, I did and he enjoy had this that earnestness to him that made like he it, he had never been in a Tim Burton movie before, but it felt like he fit like a glove. Like. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Je Jessica Lange was great in a sort of underserved role. This is a movie about a father and son ultimately. Yeah. So like the women did get kind of like kicked over to the side, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, Jessica Lange did a lot with not a lot of screen time because she has to play the wife of somebody who's literally dominated every room she's ever been in. Great so point. She has to be patient, but also loving. You have to understand why she loves him. And it all, to me, read real. And, true. and I liked Helena Bonham Carter as Bone the home. witch role. I thought that was good casting. Yeah. But as the <laughs> Jenny, pretty girl Jenny who grew up, I didn't like that very much. Uh, yeah. I think he does that in a lot of his movies where yeah. he just assumes, like, right, my beautiful, beautiful wife. You know, my, speaking of wives, my wife was kind of looking in on this. And she very, in a fascinating way, goes, uh, a lot of Forrest Gump happening in this oh movie. Oh, my God. I, have I, a, I put clearly a lot of gump in this. Yeah, it's I was like, talk about that at the end. Jenny, even the leg the thing, Jenny, like it is the, the thing about running into the poet who was robbing the bank, who then he inspires him to go into Wall Street. Yeah. And then even the, the, the looking at the life of a sort of simple man through some fantastical storytelling and of an unreliable narrator, like all of it. Like yeah. there's a, there is a, some direct parallels to that movie for sure. Okay. So that, that might be a really natural uh, transition then into uh, 
second half of our podcast, which is the reason to knock it off. The case against keeping it on the pedestal. What has aged badly? What was bad even then? Or what are its flaws? Too gumpy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the pedestal. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I, I had, I, I, like I said, I still found it a little confusing. Maybe just because I'm not very bright or I need to read something that kind of clears it up. Um, I still found it a little confusing trying to make like sort of like a linear sense of the witch and the girl. Didn't from she the explain it? Because I was just watching it. But just as we were talking, uh, one of our superiors came up. And started talking to you just as she was like, I was the witch, but I was the girl. And he was like, but why? And she explained it. She did. So she, okay, explain it to so me. So she basically said the reason in your father's story, because he's like, well, how can you be the witch? And how can you be the little girl from Spectre? And she said, because basically the way your father sees the world is it's your mom and then everybody else. So okay. people can get jumbled up in the story? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, okay. They didn't even need to explain. I just would have thought she played... I mean, the witch doesn't really super exist. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't, it didn't need an explanation. And the moment they, they started trying to explain it is when it became confusing. It, it felt like, like an issue. One thing that was grating on me was like, are they trying to get by with the, her playing two characters? That's, I think what and it was. It's a think, budget issue. I think halfway through the movie, they're like, yeah, we, we better talk about this. That's what it, that's what it seems yeah. like. That's an interesting, that like, that was the workaround. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I found wife to get two paychecks. Either way, (laughs) either way I found it. I found that part clunky in a movie that I thought otherwise handled so many things that could have been clunky or contrived in a really sort of Mm -hmm. like deft way that felt like I could see the seams there. I also think with the witch part, I thought those kids were horrible. Oh, I remember that scene in particular. I thought they were so. I was. It actually like real. Like it was because it's so. I, sometimes it's the, the accents too. They all had to happens where accents. if there's a scene that happens too early in a movie where there's some like really bad acting, it like sort of it pulls me out so quickly that I have to like work to get back into it. Sure. Yeah, these kids are doing like horrible accents. They clearly look like they're reading like cue cards off camera. Like it was. It was odd. Okay. These kids. Yeah. They did, that didn't stand out to me, but I know I I can see where you're coming. It was from a now huge that you thing. It's it. just you mentioned the witch, and I was like, yeah, I remember that whole scene felt strange to me well for for me one thing that was super annoying right off the bat is okay it's a wedding scene the wedding's the one place you're gonna give your dad some rope to tell stories it's a place to tell fantastical stories and exaggerated things billy crudup's gonna have a tantrum at his dad at the wedding yep. walk oh, out my, midway through the speech off like a fool and then doesn't talk to him for three years it's like you're in the wrong i guess the goal is to make the audience hate billy or yeah just, there's Think he's a, a really young, immature loser, but <laughs> he—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's a typical. It's, I think we've come across this problem several times in, in 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 movies where there's a character that's supposed to be unlikable, mm-hmm. but by pushing that person to such an unlikable place, I literally like I'm like now I just don't like like I don't even care what happens to this character because I because it's not like I hate him in like a movie plot sense. I really am like. He's flat and this guy's an asshole and, and why do I even care what's happening to this Billy Crudup character at all? I believed your story so much longer than I should have. And then when I realized, of course, that everything that you said was impossible, everything, I felt like a fool to have trusted you. You're like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined, just as charming and just as fake. They could have done it better. Like if if Billy was telling a story and he's like, maybe the dad's a little drunk. He's like, that's not how it happened. Or interrupted him and it's like, hey, you're kind of ruining my moment. But the dad had the stage. It was his platform. Well, there was that line too where it's like, I wasn't trying to embarrass you. He's like, you embarrassed yourself. I was like, ooh. I feel like, like it was performance. But I think, no, but you know what? Here's the thing. 
I do think that they made him too harsh, but I think that father and sons, mothers and daughters, mothers and sons, I think that people That's- absolutely will not go three years for talking for actually less than that shit. You see people do get so weird about weddings and public things. And I actually do believe that the son gets so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I see this, I see this all the time. It's like, sometimes I'll be telling a story like at the Albert Fanner at a, at a party and I've had like three drinks and I can feel my wife getting a little bit tense. Like, okay, is he going to, he's going to do the nun joke mm-hmm. and it's gone this long. But the thing is, I'm like, you need to trust that I can read the room enough that I know that like, maybe like you and one of the person are kind of like, oh, we've heard the nun joke before. I'm like, but everyone else is along for the ride with me. But it doesn't mitigate the fact that she does feel a little bit embarrassed. I'm like, you only feel that way because you're tethered to me. True. And feel, feeling embarrassment is fine. But if you woke up with divorce, divorce papers on your pillow, yeah. you might be like, whoa, this girl's taking it far. Brother, I call that Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. Like there's, uh, there's this familiar. <laughs> God. It's really losing its impact, Danica, at this point. <laughs> if you're not going to pull the trigger, I'm going to keep telling the nun joke. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I know what you mean. This like the the, the like, one, like what, don't don't your don't your significant others or siblings embarrass you in a way that I you're in a room you're like oh I just have stop yelled it. at my dad for innocuous shit. I bet very innocuous stuff that other people don't even see yeah. what you're being embarrassed about for sure because it's yeah. because they don't see that what this is is like. An, I don't know if it's breaking the camel's back, but it's definitely another straw on this giant pile of, so this thing at the wedding was clearly, well, he's also done it at my birthday party. He also yeah. did it at my da 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 and all, so on and so forth. You don't understand how he always does this and he always makes it about himself. So I get, I, so story-wise I get it and I can see on paper it working a lot more. I think the reason why it falls is I do think in performance, it, it didn't feel real. Like it's it also so early in the movie that yeah. you're like, whoa, brother. And this is Billy Crudup. He has an air of like a grown man and it felt like he was 10 years younger felt mean. than he was It just felt mean. Yeah. And, and where I'm like, you gotta, I'm supposed to be on this guy's side and, and instead there's like a mean edge. It didn't feel like an exasperated son. It felt like a jerk who was snapping at, at a kind of a nice old man. Speaking of uh, storytelling and the way things are perceived, Danny DeVito's character, the carnival sort of ring ringmaster, whatever, him being a werewolf, is that the Ewan McGregor character basically saying this guy was an asshole? Like when he would flip, like when he would be oh, a maybe. dick, he was like a, he was an he was a monster, he was an animal, but there was this good side of him. And then once I learned that it's like he's not so scary, that's how they became friends. But I wondered if that was like a metaphorical way to say like this guy is a tyrant. When it well, came to, I, I think it's like every first boss you have is like going to eat you alive, take you for everything you're worth, use you, barely pay you. Like everyone's had a job like yeah, that. Like right? you think you're a slave, but yeah, yeah. Because it was just the werewolf specific. It, it, like there was a duality to the Danny DeVito. Like it's like, he, yeah, he took advantage. Like I, I just wondered if it was like they were trying to say like this guy could be when he was difficult. You know, I was I was listening to something the other day about Jan Warner who runs Rolling Stone, and they were he was talking about how it was this guy John Skipper who ran his piano. He's like, oh yeah, Jan Warner actually ended up having to fire me after he hired me. And he's like, well, what was Jan like? He's like, well, Jan was uh, one of those guys that depending on the day of the week, it's like you could either go into his office and he would basically tell you you were worthless and that you wrote the biggest piece of shit article ever, mm-hmm. or he would like take you out for dinner and it would be two days straight. And he, you know what I mean? And I wonder, I was like, I wonder if they're kind of, maybe I'm reading too much into the Danny DeVito character as the boss. That is like, I was just like, I wonder if the werewolf was like a way of saying this guy was like, uh, you know, no, I know depending on the day you caught him, yeah. he was either yeah. a tyrant or sort he was a good Shane guy. was saying earlier, where it's like, I don't know if the story specifically would call for it because you, uh, you don't hear him say, it. and then it turns out that he was like, I know. Yeah. They never yeah, yeah. say it. But anyway, right, right, I just, right. werewolf seemed like a weird metaphor yeah. to me. In the storytelling where it's like, I was surrounded by giants and this and that, why you would pick the werewolf. I just thought because they're like scavengers and they'll, they'll 
take everything they can from you. Yep. That's, that's just, I, so I think you're right. It's just, I look at it very slightly differently than you. Yep. Uh, what else do we not like? So I feel like Shane's going to say I'm too sensitive, but I feel like the whole, the finding this woman, the moment I see her, I know I'm going to marry her. But it's all been worth it to see you here now and to finally get to talk to you because I'm destined to marry you. And that whole sequence of like, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to do everything. Just felt like, I don't know, very psycho to me. I agree. <laughs> it was very, okay. Like, but no, but this, sure. this gets you... to your original point though, about like, I, it might seem crazy in the time of the movie, meaning like, well, in the movie, it seems too quick for him to fall in love. But as a man telling the story about something that happened 30 years ago and meeting the love of his life, sure. it's actually a very normal I just, story. It, it, it just, can't, maybe not even the I fact that I just them. saw her. <laughs> I agree with both of you. How he's, how, the, like, the, it wasn't even the, the fall, fall of love at first sight thing is, is, it was cool. It was more the tracking her down. And when he's seeing her, like, I am going to marry you. I like, I kept, because he's explaining what it felt like, sure. yeah. not it what just, happened. It was so, it was, it made me feel uncomfortable. There's like, he's yelling in her face that I'm going to marry you. I kept feeling like in the middle of his speech, they're going to cut him off like he's being put into the back of a cop car or something. I like do was, I do agree with both of you yeah. because I felt that. I also felt that. And then I thought they can do this in a better way that kind of splits the difference and makes more sense and makes the audience a little more at ease with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like it, it took like too much of an advanced, like metaphorical cinematic mind to figure that part out without being like, he's a little much. He's coming on too strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I knew what they were trying to do for sure. Like you're saying, but I, I also was annoyed. Like, like you were oh saying, my gosh. Yeah. it was way over the top. And, and like, even like the, yeah, I understand the point of the story is and like even and nuanced, this is well but. no 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 I, I know what you're saying but like I thought Shane brought up that great point about how a story feels and all that stuff and I mean what we what we're going back to it's like you know he has the, he plants all the yellow flowers in the field mm-hmm. in reality he probably brought a flower to her door you know yeah. and it's just like everything ends up becoming the way it was and yeah it's just that movie montage of cue the love song here's the lengths I went to here's the chocolates here's the me walking down the hall like it's all that shit they just did it in a way that was slightly more obsessive than it was aggressive. And I think there were, I I, I feel like personally, I feel like you guys will disagree. I feel like that several times of when, when Burton or whoever is responsible for any of those things um, uh, made those choices. I do feel like the movie was very uneven in success versus failure ratio. Like, I don't think the werewolf thing worked for me all that well. Like there were some things that sort of like, I I totally get the theory behind it of like, well, he's telling a story. Like I felt like the whole Korean war thing that where he's fighting. And I felt like that was all like, it just, it could have been kind of put, put aside for me. And it felt like that. And, and it reminded me of how I felt when I first watched it. I'm like, I guess this is a pretty uneven movie where sometimes it's like, this movie is either like, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen or a complete disaster. And it kind yeah. of oscillates between the two frequently. I agree. It kind of tries to pull off like, um, what's that, what's that fucking movie you like? Uh, uh, like Kentucky fried movie or something like that. <laughs> sure. Like where it's like 47 stories in a right. movie or whatever. There's a little bit of that going on. And this is what I meant by like, there's like, we have a whole fucking Korean war movie within a movie where yeah. he meets twins. And then we have a whole movie where he spends the time in a small town inspector. Then he's at the fucking circus. I think there is a bit of that going on. Little tiny movies within movies. I, to me, I thought they added up to more than like, I thought they worked for that reason. For right. the reason you're saying you feel like it's disjointed, which I, I see why it, you would say that. It was one of those things where they worked in the end because the payoff was so it worth it. it together. But it wasn't necessarily enjoyable as I was going During. through. Hmm. I was a little bit like, I don't like this. And then at the end, I was like, man, what a life. What a journey. <laughs> <laughs> like hard cut to like standing over yeah, the really in his living room. Yep. But it the was, one eye pouring yeah. a tear. It's or, a fair critique. Whereas <laughs> a movie like 
like Forrest Gump, you're enjoying the entire journey, and and at the end, you still say, "What a life!" Yeah, yeah it makes me, the re, uh, the the comparison to Forrest Gump is is even though they are both supposed to be two complete strangers to you in Gump, I do feel like the whole time from the jump, I care what happens to this Gump character every second of the way, and I do well, of feel of course because he's a, he's a baby deer. Sure, I there's mean, no complication to Gump. He's designed for your. Sympathy. I just I do feel like there's several times in this movie that I kept going like, why do I care that this, that I'm watching this story about this guy? Like it's a well-told story, but I frequently felt like, like I'm, I'm fine. I'm finding hard to find a personal connection to well, why. Because it's a story within us all. Sure. And we all know someone like that. And that's why I think we care because we're learning about oh, yeah. and, and ourselves. Fre- frequently of. it got me like that. Mm-hmm. Very. And but yeah. that it was more, I feel like it was actually like the filmmaking that actually dropped the ball. By by making me not feel that way, where it felt like 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 frequently felt like he was biting off a little more than he could chew. I I don't think it's a movie where you. It's one of those things where you like whisper to your wife the whole time you're w- watching it. I think it's mm-hmm. one of those movies you talk about afterwards. Yeah. Whereas some you're just like this is amazing, this is amazing, and no. the whole way through. Like right? Kentucky Fried. <laughs> right. No. I haven't seen that film, but I'm sure it's exactly the way you. That's the one that has all the movies. Yeah. With yeah, the movie. yeah. Yeah. All yeah, well, yeah. like, so, sort of. Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know if that would be my number one. I see what you're saying. I think it's hard to compare any character to Gump because Gump is literally like a work of fiction that is designed to not be a real person. Right. Like he never does anything negative or selfish. He's not a real person in the right. sense that, or character, let me, let me say that. He's like a construct, like sort of designed as a vehicle to go through history that of course is like the most likable person in the world because he would never do anything wrong to anybody. Albert Finney is a uh, character, is a comp or whatever his name yeah. is william uh he's the, the most he's a complicated dude he's a real dude it's a lot harder to sort of like uh, put those people in movies and have you sort of like i guess be fully invested but maybe that's not fair because I mean, we've seen lots of flawed characters that we're invested in so maybe it yeah. was a, for you a failure in the filmmaking again a failure probably too big of a word sure. but it was just like because there's i'll just say again there were times that, that he killed it and there were other times where and I think a lot of the failures were in the non-fantasy part as well, which I think is, is like, like I think you were saying you're excited to see Tim Burton do like a normal movie. And I think like he's trying to do something normal. Sure. It just wasn't super duper working all the time. Like when he just has two people sitting in a room talking, it kind of like droned a little bit for me, got a little boring in places. Hmm. Those worked for me. Anything else on the negative list? Jeez, I'm trying to think here. I wrote some stuff. Uh, I wrote poor man's Forrest Gump here. <laughs> oh, uh, kind of bothered me when uh, there's one point he's he's cleaning his pool. And there's the fish, the fish in the pool. Because I was like, oh, this is kind of breaking the rules in a way I'm not necessarily comfortable with. And it's overly confusing. Like, is this going to come back? To, w- to which it didn't really make sense to me in the end. I was like... Fuck, I can't stop thinking about that fish scene. Why you know the what fuck it is? was the fish in the pool? Well, you know what's funny is it's like, I do know what you mean about the internal logic of the film because when we're in those present day scenes, we're not in the retelling of a story. But yeah, let's right. imagine Billy Crudup is telling that story to his child. Like the story oh, of when okay. I reconciled with my father. It's like, and then I felt, I heard the noise of a fish in the pool. You know, and it's like, it's kind of metaphorically like the but, dad's but, storytelling is coming around. Wait, I'm not talking about the end. I'm not either. I'm talking about when he's okay. like the pool, the the, the pool like, at the house. Are we yes. perhaps now watching his retelling of the time his father time, died? Right? Yeah, and it's like so. I I felt the little, or I heard the little splatter of the fish in the pool. Which, again, that's a stretch upon a stretch upon a stretch. Yeah, but I yeah, think yeah. that's what he was trying to do. There is, it's like his father's magic was. He was starting to understand his father. Right. That's the way I was trying to take it. Yeah. But I was like, ah, oh, this is taking a lot of brain power here, and I wish I was like. 
I wish I was like that smart more than I think that might be smart. Oh yeah, exactly. Or it's kind of breaking the rules and it's kind of like, mm-hmm. is, is there a fish in the water? And anyway, yeah, I, I know what you mean about that scene. Like if, sure. if it's a movie chock full of shit like that, it's kind of fun to watch it. Like I hear the movie us that Jordan Peele did has a lot of shit where you got to kind of watch in the background and see the metaphors. Yeah. Like for me, it was get like, out, oh, I'm not ready thing. for this. And like, I'm not sure I'm getting it right. And I like to know that I've got it right. Unless the object is the film to have a whole bunch of shit like that throughout. Yep. So that was, that was a part just lastly, if we're just picking nitpicking. Yeah. I mean, my, I don't have any like specific nitpick. Like my, my bigger problem was the uneven unevenness with the hits and misses of, of the, the scenes. I, 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 to go back to the the him going after the girl, I, I have a I, I have a frequent problem in movies. I think we talked about in the Coming to America one where it makes me dislike the girl a little more when I know she wanted to marry such a psycho. Like, like what does that say about what your does that judgment? Say about her? And character? Like, I'm like, so this because this guy was absolutely like an unhinged. But of course, again. I don't know if he is an unhinged psycho and he's just the way that Albert Finney's telling the That's story. That's his version of this guy. But, but I mean, it does, but either way, that is how I'm introduced to this woman. And it does make me, make me dislike her a little more. It bugs me. It's a trope that sort of is used a lot. And it, I hate, it kind of bugs me every time. The nature- should give him something likable to make me like her more because otherwise, why did she ever end up? With that this? feels like an overall criticism, like of, yeah, I guess film of, writing in general. Tropes and, 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 and leaning on any of those kind of this things. This movie does kind of have a genius cheat code built into it which is ultimately anything you're going to to nitpick about these scenarios are a man's retelling of a story in the way he perceived it Mm -hmm. perceives it which is to me i think kind of a genius sort of like bulletproof vest to criticism of those sorts of specific things but also it could just be a cover-up for like sloppy filmmaking right or uh you know story choices yeah have we reached the end i think we've reached the end yeah i think so boys do you want me to go first? You should go first because because it's my my yeah, my yeah, choice. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you know it's funny. This film did absolutely sort of remind me of other sorts of like fantasy, feel good, schmaltzy sort of like movie genre films like Forrest Gump, Field of Dreams, another father son movie that has lots of elements of fantasy and mysticism. Um, and when I think of those films and I think about oh like would I recommend this film to somebody or would I sort of continually watch it? Would I keep it on a pedestal? Um, I 100% absolutely would. I thought this movie was great when I watched it last night. Uh, it was just as moving as it had been before. I don't know if it's because I've lost my father. I don't know if it's because I have a daughter now that I am a father. Um, so maybe that kind of affects how much a movie like this moves me. But I do know that in 2003, when neither of those things were a reality, um, I still loved it. And in fact, I think I loved it even more uh, when I watched it last night. So for that reason, I personally would keep this on my pedestal. Uh, I'll go. Um, I, this was, this, it's funny that I, that I came out of it cause I barely remembered anything about the movie except for thinking that was kind of both good and bad back then. I'm like, oh no, if I can watch it again in 2019 and I felt like the exact same thing where there were, you know, there was a lot of good and a lot of, I don't want to say bad, but there was, it was kind of so all over the place. It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly how I feel about it. Um, and I guess because of that, I'm going to say, I wouldn't put it on the pedestal just because like there's, there's, there was just too much, there was too much late stage Tim Burton stuff of, of him, of him feeling like he didn't have full control over what, what was happening and things kind of falling apart that, that it felt so uneven that it, even though the ending was spectacular and you can almost, I, I, I feel like Shane, Shane pushed me more in the, in the liking direction with the idea of what you're seeing actually is more, is, is like, 
it's the filmmaking and the visuals that are adding on, but that's still, it still was too uneven for me to say, yes, put it on the pedestal. Uh, my original thought was totally going to be, well, just watch Forrest Gump. It's overall the better movie. <laughs> it's similar. But there is a lot of truth into the fact that Forrest Gump wasn't a real character. He was a simpleton, and the message was overall a great message when you walk out into it for like how to, how to be in life. And if you're a good person and you work hard, good things will happen. And like karma is the ultimate thing that we should all strive to, to aim for. But in this film, it, anytime a film has an amazing payoff that it, when you walk out of the theater where you're done seeing it, you kind of feel like that special tingle. It's very rare in a movie, especially these days I find. And it's kind of life affirming. I would say you have to keep it on the pedestal because you'd want everyone to feel that feeling. Cause I think that's why we watch movies. It's why we chase that feeling we had when we like watch hook when we were young, I kind of had that feeling walking up here where I was like, Oh fuck. I feel kind of different or like different about life. Yeah. So for that reason, I would put it on the pedestal. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Not against, I, I've, I was sort of trying to gauge where, where you, I felt like I was going to, like if you if Shane said no, I probably would have said yes. It's kind of one of those kind of things where I was kind of like teetering, and so I feel like it deserve. I feel like it's one of those. It deserves to be on, but not unanimously. I love a two one. <laughs> no, I love a two one because I think you make great points, John, and I think Shane is kind of touched on it, and that's that this ending is so spectacular. It so kind of covers up some of the flaws that you address throughout the viewing yep. experience. And I and I'll agree with that. It really does. It, it's the ending. The ending is is incredible. Like I, when I got, I was like, it's, it's worth it. If, if anyone's listening to this, like let's say in like thirty. years, Years, someone stumbles across the pedestal <laughs> after the big wars and they find this the wars what's this mom that's your father's podcast he had a podcast <laughs> why is the kid so still so young oh the wars are like next year she's a simpleton <laughs> she's, she's a forest gump-esque simpleton what's this yeah very gumpy oh my god <laughs> uh yeah but but anyway if someone is to come across this podcast and they're actually basing our opinions on uh, yeah. Did we put it on the pedestal or not? I would hate for anyone to miss out on this yep. ending and this feeling that I I understand. So, yeah. Anyway. And uh, now we close the book on that one. Perfect. Perfect.